Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Let's talk about money. So today we're talking about a common issue that listeners ask about raising kids. Listener Rhea asks, how much do kids cost? I know that everyone's situation is unique, but I always hear how kids are expensive and I'm not sure when slash how slash how much I should be saving for them. If I wanted to start trying to have them in a few years, my husband and I don't have any debt, but we also have only just started saving for retirement. How should I prioritize between saving for my future self through my IRA versus saving for my future kids? Well, Rhea, I hope that we can answer some of those questions for you today. And we have a really fabulous guest joining us, Kim Harrison, to talk about some of these issues. Kim is a longtime educator, preschool teacher, director of education at PDX Jazz, and consultant with Creative Partners Curriculum. Thank you so much for joining us, Kim. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. It's so overwhelming. Kids are expensive, and there's no way to plan for exactly how much they're going to cost. It's so personalized in every decision that you make. So really, the best thing you can do is just know that it's going to cost more than you think. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that one of the things that people can get really overwhelmed, especially like my generation generally has put off having kids. Um, You know, a lot of us are doing it later thanks to recession, student loans, you know, Tinder, all number of things. And I think a lot of folks get overwhelmed when they start trying to plan because they look at, you know, like the USDA released an annual expenditures on children by families report and estimated the cost of raising a child at around $245,000, which when you see that number all by itself, you're like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to afford that? You have to be rich to have a kid. The thing that I want listeners to realize is most people manage to have kids and also still retire. You know, you're it there are and it doesn't come all at once. Right. Right. Yeah. You don't have to have that two hundred and forty five thousand dollars when you leave the hospital with your newborn. baby. Exactly. Um, I do think I think it's important. One thing that I believe a lot of people in the U.S. underestimate is just the cost of actually pushing a child out of you um, is relatively high. Even if you have health insurance, usually you're going to hit what's called your out-of-pocket maximum. And so that's one thing to consider if you're considering having kids, especially if you're older and you're having a kid, you're more likely to have a complicated pregnancy. And so that's one of the line items that I recommend that people kind of look forward to is look at what your out-of-pocket maximum is on your health insurance. Make sure you have health insurance if you're planning on having a kid yourself and uh, start, you know, saving up for that line item. However, I do not recommend putting a hold on your retirement savings in order to start saving for a kid. Okay, that makes sense. And I do think that it is a huge surprise for parents when they get all of the bills because they think, oh, I just have to meet my deductible or whatever. And then even just having one protein deficiency extra test for a baby or staying two extra days because of jaundice suddenly puts you in this whole new category of spending that when you're already going to be taking a few months off of work and maybe not having the income that you're used to. It is a big shock to to even just thinking, how are we going to get through the next three or four months? And still pay our bills. Yeah. And, you know, and if you're American and you work for a small firm, it's pretty likely that you don't have paid parental leave. And so that's another thing to consider, Um, especially, you know, if you're if you're queer and you're two men, it's almost it's even more likely that you're not going to have paid 
uh, paid parental leave. However, you are still entitled if you are adopting a child, um, regardless of your gender or your relationship with the child, if you're adopting a child, then you are entitled to uh, unpaid time off work. So that's a thing that like a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you can still get that unpaid time off work, even if it's you're not your own your own biological child. I think an important thing to add to that, too, is also the fact that even once you go back to work, even if you've saved, you should maybe think about saving some of that leave or unpaid time because babies get sick and they can't go to daycare. Yeah. And so that really adds up fast. And if you don't have a flexible work situation with um, both partners, then it can be really hard to figure out who has to stay home with a sick child. And it happens a lot more than we like to admit. And I think we parents gloss over how many days we have to scramble to try to figure out how to keep a child that's barely sick away from other children. Yeah, yeah. And the cost of daycare is that's I think oh. <laughs> one of the things that we should probably address. Um cost I mean, cost of daycare is outrageous <laughs> pretty much. It is and unbelievable. The, yeah. One of the things that um I think is useful and helpful for people to realize is that you can run the numbers on you know one of the parents staying home a lot of people this doesn't occur until after they've been paying for daycare for a couple months um and you know if you both want to keep working if, if, if you've got two parents if you're not a single parent and you both are still working um and want to that's fine like you know it's also fine to decide that you don't want to spend all day hanging out with your child and that you love your child but even if you're barely covering the cost of daycare, you want to have a life outside of the house. And also when you think about um, a certain careers, if you spend 10 or 12 years home, sometimes it's really hard to step back into uh, a job because you're you're just essentially overqualified and under um, experienced right. at that point in time to step back in. So for some people, depending on what their field is, staying home may not be an option, even if it's almost a wash in the expense of daycare just because they need that professional experience and yeah. to stay engaged. You know, whatever. Feminism was all about the choices, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about having the choice, uh, even if it can be a really hard choice with the cost right. of daycare. Which also makes part-time a really viable option for partners. If, if you have a partner who's working full-time and one of you can work full-time and stay engaged in your career, it may actually be an option if you can stagger. You may not get a lot of partner time, but you might make it so your child has to have a lot less paid care. Yeah. And, um, you know, also staggering shifts. Like, I know a lot of parents that have done the, hey, we get the bonus if one of us works swing or overnight, and we don't have to do childcare during the day. Um, and it, it's going to be a rough couple years before they go to school, probably. A lot yes. less sleep. But it can be one of the ways to make it financially work if you've got two partners and the option to do a different right. shift. Yes, so. it really can make a difference. We didn't actually cover your background. Let's let's talk about your background a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, I am the mom of a raised child who successfully completed college and now works in her field of her major. <gasps> Look at that. So I feel kind of like an expert, except I only have one child, so I don't know that you know maybe <laughs> maybe it's an anomaly, maybe it's me, maybe I don't know. <laughs> well, and you were in education. I do. And I also, um, another job that I have is working as a family manager for a family that works in tech. And so I get to help plan how they're raising their kids and how they spend their money on their child care. And so that's been an interesting thing to look from a different perspective without the emotional involvement of it being my money mm -hmm. and really look at what the most practical way of, of solving these issues are. A lot of folks, it, I feel like the choices can get harder if you've got better incomes, right? So like the... the 
I don't make a lot of money and I'm pretty good at economizing. And this comes really naturally to a lot of, you know, if you've got a single parent or you've, you know, never made great money. But if you've got two lucrative tech careers and, you know, one of you is going to have to give up a career that you've worked really hard for, maybe you've gone to school for for a long time, um, it, it can be a lot harder. And you start to look at, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about that can really bust at your budget, like meal prep services or, um, you know, any number of kind of convenience spending starts to look really attractive when the other option is that you have someone making $150,000 a year staying home because just a couple years of that can really eat at your net worth. Right. And also it... it is really challenging to know um, how to choose that because there's the satisfaction level of being able to work in your field, but also there's the guilt of how much do we spend away from the kids. So if you can maximize your expenditures in a way that makes it so the time that you're spending with your kids is your most valuable time and it's the meaningful time and you're spending the money on the busy work that everyone has to do. And if you have that resource, then how do you choose what is the busy work? What's meaningful? Because sometimes being the person that schleps your kids, you get to hear all about the details of their day. And that may be one of the most critical times to connect, but also you could be working. Right. So what do you do? How do you decide? And so that is one of those things where being on the same page, especially if it's a partnered situation and knowing what your values are, it comes back to really thinking about what's most meaningful in your own personal values before you decide how to spend your money. Oh, look, we've talked about this before. I feel like this has come up before (laughs) on the Oh My Dollar podcast. Never, never. Yeah, I mean, so we've I've I've talked about before how I even as someone who's not hippy dippy wishy washy, this is your dreams. I you absolutely cannot do the value the budget unless you assess your own values, and I I think this comes down to kids as well, right? Like, absolutely. You um I've heard you before recommend that that parents make a a like budgetary decisions kind of based on a parental strategic plan, which makes it sound very fancy. But right. You know, but-, but mostly it just comes down to what do we value most? What do we want to do with our kids? Do we want them to have music lessons? And, and do we want them to have all of these enrichment activities? Do we want to do things as a family? Do we want to do those great vacations every summer? What memories, what experiences, what do we want our kids to carry with them to adulthood? And if you and your partner on a, aren't on the same page for that, then every other decision is almost impossible. Right, right, definitely. So my father is the child of immigrants. He's the youngest of five, and he's the only boy. And his family, you know, made it very clear to the kids, like, they value education. Neither of his parents had finished high school, um, but they really wanted their kids to all be college graduates. Um, but he pound, the, you know, they heard very at a very young age, like we are expecting you to find full rides to college. Um, and but it was it ended up and all I think all of them managed to and in different ways. You know, one of them is an artist and went to went to Parsons and, you know, got a full ride to Parsons. And one of you know, my dad did the military and did ROTC and that paid for MIT. But they also they also were very clear about like that education was a core value of the family and that you know it you whatever path you need to get there like we need we want you to be able to figure this out um but they paid for private school for all of their kids all, all five kids you know for 12 years and that was largely because they had you know a bunch of really smart kids um but they lived in queens 
and the magnet schools in public school were in Manhattan with four kids under the age of five. They're not going to they're not going to go on the subway and get their, you know, six year old into this magnet school in Manhattan on the on the subway for 45 minutes and haul the other four children under the age of five. <laughs> right. right. Like, it's right. Just, it's just not going to happen. Um, and so it ended up being a choice of like, well, what's the next best option? Right. And know? I think you bring up an important thing because time is the one resource that no parent has enough of. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't buy more time. Right. So when you're looking at planning all of these things, you really have to look at how far something is from your home, how long it takes to get there, and what sacrifice it is to try to do that. And that includes school, summer camps, after-school programs, lessons, everything, because really your time is the one thing that you never get back and the one thing you wish you had more of with your child. So one thing that you also can't get back is saving early for your kids college. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I do I do want to mention educational savings accounts um, because they exist in every state, but they vary so much in how good they are. Um, And this is one of these things that, you know, if you've got a bunch of family or friends that say, hey, I'd love to chip it. You know, you you've just had a kid. You know, the you've you've got a newborn. You've got a lot of things on your mind. You're just trying to keep this human alive uh, and get some sleep. If people say, "Hey, I'd love to contribute to something for your kid," they can they can give tax free contributions to these educational savings accounts, and it's really awesome if you can start them early. The downside is in a bunch of states, these are prepaid tuition plans for the state schools. You can't see 18 years into the future. You don't know if your kid's going to want to go to that state school. You don't know if that state school is still going to be the leader in whatever field you've decided your newborn is going to go into. Right. Um, And state schools aren't appropriate for all students. I mean, some kids really do need a small, intimate environment to succeed. And there's no way to predict that again when you are looking at your little infant. And so and, and also there's just there's a number of reasons why private schools could end up financially making more sense. You you can't predict out in the future. So I do want to say really look into whatever whatever the educational savings accounts terms are because they do vary by state. Some of them are very simple and they're just a savings account that's usually matched. Sometimes they'll give you, if you say 500 a year, the government will give you 500 a year in, in the account. Um, there's a bunch of reasons why they can be really awesome. Um, but in some states, they actually are prepaid tuition for the state school. And I would really warn away against those because you just don't know. Right. You don't and know you may not even is... live in that state. And, right. you know. Right. There's any number of reasons why um, it wouldn't necessarily make sense. So look for one that's both portable and tax advantaged. You can also open a Roth IRA for your kid, but only once they're earning income. So <laughs> if you, you know, it's actually a really great way to teach a high schooler about money and getting started because that's money they can pull out for college tax and penalty free um the raw or they can just leave it there and save for retirement um and as we've talked before getting started early is really awesome in saving for retirement if you start when you're 16 you're really ahead of the curve you don't have to save nearly as much and it can be a good way to teach kids about money in high school you know oh this this amount of what you make goes into the family fund for supporting the family this much is fun money for you and this much has to go into your savings and you can use it for college you can use it for a house or you can use it to save for retirement. But unless your kid is a child starlet, as a newborn, you cannot open a Roth IRA for them. <laughs> they have to have some sort of earned income. So Kim, 
I always love to end on this. Uh, questions I ask every guest, which is, what is the best financial decision you ever made and what is the worst? The worst financial decision <laughs> I've ever made is ignoring my finances mm. and pretending that they don't exist for about 47 years. The best financial decision I ever made was starting your boot camp and really starting to take control of where my money's going and realizing that it doesn't have to be um, that scary and maybe I don't have to be ashamed of every bad decision I've ever made. <laughs> oh, okay, I didn't pick him to say that, I swear. <laughs> um, Thank you so much for coming on, Kim. It's been delightful to have you, as always. <laughs> ah, thanks for having me. That wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Where can people find you, Kim, if they want to stalk ah, you on the internet? CPCPDX.com or PDXJazz.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. And till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.